0: Amen. So for this morning's scripture reading, we're going to be in Psalm 80, Psalm chapter 80. Uh, And again, this is is your daily psalm reading for today. Um, But we're going to hear it taught in depth as well in just a moment. But we encourage you to follow along from Psalm chapter 80. Hear now the word of the Lord. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and have given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. We welcome Alan as he's going to deliver the sermon this morning.
1: summer. Feels like the beginning of summer today, uh, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, we're I share uh, or echo Stephen's um, just recognition of those who've served and uh, just that desire to honor those who have have given of themselves to serve our country and to to make our lives safer. Um, this week has also been a, a week of memorial um, for another event. Um, I don't know if you all saw it in the news, but um, uh, we've celebrated, the, or celebrates celebrate this word to use, we recognize uh, the one year anniversary of the uh, school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Um, School shootings, as we all know, have become uh, almost everyday events, and so it seems like it's hardly news anymore. Uh, But this was one that was particularly awful in terms of the the numbers. Uh, 19 elementary school kids uh, killed, as well as two teachers, so 21 in all. And uh, I've just, I've I've read a couple of articles um, this week, and I've uh, really been moved by something that the Uvalde community has done um, to, I think, to help them through the grieving process of what they've gone through, <clears throat> and maybe you've seen this. If you haven't, I really recommend you look it up because it's kind of beautiful. Um, they have created uh, 21 um, murals, you know, wall-size, building-size murals or I guess murals on the side of buildings uh, recognizing each of the people uh, who were who lost their lives that day and um, the murals are all they were, each one was done by a different artist as I understand it and um, and they were done um, you know after reflecting with the families of the, of the ones that were killed and, um, and really created a mural for each one that kind of reflected their lives and and um, the beauty of their lives um really special really meaningful um, thing for me to see this week so i I encourage you to to maybe look it up if you haven't seen it but for me i guess thinking of memorial day and also the evolving um, event um, just reminds me and i think reminds us of the world the fact that the world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. We, we, were, we were made for a world without war. We shouldn't have to celebrate Memorial Day. And we shouldn't have to grieve the loss of children. Um, we all know that this is wrong, and we we long for um, a world that is right, that is made for the, the hearts, that are, or the, the world for which our hearts were made. Um, and so Psalm 80, as we get, dig into that, is what's called a, um, a communal lament. It is a, it is a psalm in which it kind of echoes the, the voice of the community of Israel as they are grieving their condition of of really a loss of the presence and blessing of God. Um, So before we dive into that, let me just pray one more time just to focus our hearts on God's word. Lord, we uh, just commit our time together to you. We thank you that we are able to gather here as your body. Um, We thank you that you have made us into a community that loves you and loves to come together to worship. Um, we pray that you would teach us from your word today. I pray that, that, um, that my words would uh, just fall away as scaffolding, and that just the, the truth of your word would stand and um, would take its place in our hearts. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Psalm eighty is a is a, it's a communal event, um, lament, which means it it focuses on the community of God's people as opposed to us as individuals, um, and not necessarily that one is better than the other. But but we live in both of those worlds. Um, it starts off, you know, with this. Um, This cry, this plea, give ear, O Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. So, talking about God as a shepherd of the nation. Um, You know, we have a lot of sermons and teachings about um, our personal relationship with God, and we emphasize that, the need for each of us to have a personal relationship with God through Christ. You know, we talk and think about what it means to trust God and to love God and to obey God and all those things. Of course, that's important. But we also experience God as a community. That's why we're here, right? I mean, we're all here today to worship God as a community. We could all just be in our homes by ourselves, reading our Bibles and praying, which, of course, is also a good thing. But God calls us to Come together as individuals to form a community. <clears throat> so Psalm 80 is a um, it's an expression of the community of Israel grieving the loss of God's favor. It remembers former times of God's action and presence in the life of the, of the community. And it's and it's expressing grief and lament over the loss of that. And it's expressing a petition, a crying out for restoration to come back to where they were. Um, what are they lamenting? What are they lamenting? Well, we, we don't really ever know exactly the, the time and the, the events that precipitated the song. We just have some hints. <clears throat> in verse 4 um, it says, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? So, they're, they're recognizing God is angry, and not only with them as a people, but with their prayers. So there's, a, there's a real depth of intimacy there. They're, they're feeling a sense of God's anger, uh, even with their, their prayers. Um, there's there's an expression of deep anguish. Uh, Verse five um, says, uh, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. So the psalmist describes their condition as as both eating and drinking tears. Their, Their whole experience of life is this grieving, you know, anguish, Um, So they're going through some very difficult, painful time. Verse 6 seems to imply shame and conflict with their their neighbors. It says, you make us an object of contention, or what's sometimes translated as, um, you have put us in strife with our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. So they're so they're just they're experiencing this pain and loss and feeling rejection, um, conflicts with the world around them, and uh, they're in this sorry state. They they're they're not experiencing the the blessing of the presence of God. So then, as we move forward, <coughs> verses eight through eleven. The psalmist uses this analogy of a vine to kind of recall the the history of Israel. Um, He says, uh, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river." So he's using this analogy of the vine to just describe how God rescued Israel from Egypt, transplanted it into this new promised land of Palestine. Uh, the psalmist is using all these um, this you know, supernatural language to describe the supernatural work that God did in, in moving them. Um, you know, it's about mountains being covered by a vine. I mean, that's not... Normal uh, talks about this vine sending out its branches, you know, all the way to the sea on one side and all the way to the river on the other side, which I think is probably the Tigris or Euphrates. But anyway, so this, there's this, this recollection of this period of time in the, in the history of the, of the nation where they were experiencing the miraculous, powerful work of God. In in rescuing them and planting them in this promised land. And then we get to verse 12 and the psalmist cries out, why then? Why then? Why then have you broken down its walls? Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit, the boar, from the forest, ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. So there's this there's this sense of 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 you know not understanding how they, they could go from this time of intense experience of the presence of God and His powerful work to now everything is falling apart. Why would God? Why would God go to the trouble of of rescuing his people and transferring them to the promised land only to let the, the wild animals come in, let the neighboring tribes and nations come and attack and assault them. They can't understand it, although they probably should know since they know that they made a covenant with God in which they promised to obey him. God promised to bless them as long as they did. But the the psalm doesn't really address that. It rather focuses on the uh, emotional angst that they're going through, which is, well, I'll try to focus on as well. Um, But this really raises for us kind of this age-old question of why does God do what He does? You know, why does God allow suffering and pain in this world? Um, And why do some people suffer more than others? Why do we go through times of blessing and then also times of apparent misery and suffering? Um, How do we make sense of this world? In light, of, in light of who God is. So I'm not going to try to address that. Like I said, that's an age-old question, and I won't really try to resolve that other than to say that, you know, we, we live in a world of sin. The story of the Bible is that God created the world without all these problems, and we chose to reject the blessing of God. We chose to trust ourselves more than we trust Him. And, and the fallen, broken condition of the world we live in is a result of our own bad choices. So, back to my original point, this Psalm 80 is a, is a communal lament. The, the, the people are in trouble, the nation is in trouble, they're experiencing all this hardship, and so they're crying out to God for help. And the, the structure, you know, the psalm is a poem, and the structure of it reflects like a, an increasing intensity of this emotion, of this despair that the nation is going through. Um, there's three times in the psalm where this plea goes out, restore us, O God, restore us, O God. Uh, it's in verses 3, verse 7, and verse 19. And each time that, that plea, it kind of grows a little bit. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Restore us, O God. In verse 7, it says, Restore us, O God of hosts. And then in verse 19, the last verse, it says, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. And this God of hosts terminology um, is actually a, a military term that in some places, some Bible is translated, O God of armies. That, that the word that's translated hosts here is a word that's used to describe the heavenly hosts, the armies of God. And so... So what are the you know what are they asking for here? What is the psalmist asking for? What are the people crying out for in this in this plea? Restore us, O God, O God of hosts. And I think obviously at the at the at the surface level, it is a cry or a plea for physical restoration, right? Uh, it's a cry for God to solve our problems. Help us. We're, we, we miss the good old days of God's blessing. And we're not enjoying this time of, of being attacked and suffering, being laughed at. Um, verses one and two of the psalm, you know, are reminiscent of, of the Exodus. Like I said earlier. Um, and this really kind of the, the the glory days, you know. The Exodus is really treated in the Old Testament as the the greatest salvation event of the story of Israel, you know, God rescuing them. And so, so the psalmist is really crying out for you know going back to that that great period in the life of of the nation of Israel when they were experiencing. It. The supernatural power and presence of God, taking them out of suffering and into this place of blessing. And we all, I think, in our lives as believers, or just in our lives as human beings, we all know that experience of going through, a, you know, a difficult time in life, and looking back and longing for. You know, the former days when life was better or easier, or we were just happier. Right? We all long for days that we used to know. and we look at our days now, sometimes we feel like there's too much anxiety, or we're easy to focus on the problems that we are experiencing. We call that nostalgia, right? Looking back at what used to be and and longing for it. Um, So when we think about what's at the heart of this communal lament, it's really a desire to go back to a former time, to the place where, where the nation was experiencing the blessing of God and peace and the abundance that He provided. But I think there's something else here that is more profound than just uh, the, the petition to be relieved of the physical pain and suffering that they're going through. Because the, the psalmist, in every one of these pleas, he's also crying out for the face of God. Crying out for the face of God. Verse 3. In all of them, that, that phrase is actually the same in verse 3, 7, and 19. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Let your face shine that we may be saved. There is a longing for the face of God, for the presence of God, for an experience of intimacy with God that they are not having, or not experiencing. It. So, it can be argued, I think, in some of the commentaries and such, when you read that, the, this, the terminology of the face of God can be simply an expression um, that, that indicates, you know, God's favor or God's blessing. There's, uh, like, Psalm 31, 16, says, make your face shine on your servant, save me in your steadfast love. Or on, uh, oppositely, Opposite if that's a word. Uh, you know, the, for God to hide His face uh, sometimes implies the holding back His blessing, right? So Psalm 13, verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right? So there's a sense in which this phrase is used to talk about having the blessing or not having the blessing of God. And of course, there's that famous you know, uh, blessing of Aaron back in Numbers chapter 6 that we often use as a, like a blessing or doxology. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is another word for his face, right? Um, his countenance upon you and give you peace. So the sort of, um, I don't know, all-encompassing blessing what the, you know, what we're after is, is this blessing of God expressed as the face of God shining upon us. So it may be that it's just, a, it's just a figure of speech, right? But I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's a figure of speech because there is a reality there that expresses the longing of our hearts that we all have. I think we, we we long to have the intimacy with God that we as humanity once had with Him all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, and of course, you know, the face of God, I don't want to be, I've got to be careful here because you know, we know that God is not a physical being, um, so he doesn't have a face per se, um, and yet there is a sense of of his face, um, representing the intimacy that Adam and Eve shared with him in the garden. So, I think we all have this recognition in our hearts that that because of this broken relationship with God, this, this lack of, of intimacy, this lack of the presence of God in the world, the way that it once was, that that is why the world is such a broken place, because we have separated ourselves from God as the entire human race. So we have this longing, I think, to go back to the garden. We have this longing to go back to the world as it was originally meant to be. This longing to live in a world that is free from war. A world that's free from covid cancer and all the diseases that plague us. We long for a world that is free from children being killed when they go to school. We all know that we're made for a world like that, not for a world like this. We're made for the garden. We're made for. To live in God's presence and to live in a world of peace and beauty. And we all know that something is deeply wrong with this world. Even though there's much in this world that's beautiful, right? We don't I don't want to overplay the 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 wicked side of this world. I mean today's a beautiful day. The sun's shining. Uh, we have beauty around us. We have the ocean. We have we have Brothers and sisters, we have community here. We have our own families. Uh, We have so much to be thankful for. Uh, We have, our, our lives are full of blessings. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we'd still know that something's wrong. And we're still longing for the face of God as a community, not just as individuals, but as a community that we would experience God and the the fellowship and friendship of one another in a world free of all the the evil of this world. We long for you because that's what we were created for. So in Psalm 80, the psalmist representing the people of Israel, I think, are asking for restoration to better happier times and and what did god give them what did god give them Um, i I won't rehearse the whole of old testament history but um, our assumption here is that this from what some of the things we're said here that that the place and time where this is standing is sometime after the, obviously after the exodus, because it refers to that, and and I think obviously after the, um, the inhabiting of the promised land. And so, what what happens after that is that ultimately because of God's sin, the people are ultimately kicked out of the promised land. Kind of in the same way that, that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their sin, the people of God are ultimately kicked out of the Promised Land for their sins. Like, the Promised Land is is almost a new Garden of Eden. And when you look at the the tabernacle and temple where God's presence is, there's all this imagery of of the garden, plants and flowers and all these things. And So the, the nation being in the nation of Israel is like a return to Eden. And they get kicked out because of their sin. And ultimately, after a period of time, God brings them back into the Promised Land. They reoccupy parts of it. They reoccupy Jerusalem. But they never really come back to restoration of the glorious times that were before. Uh, the, The restoration is only partial. And even though a new temple is built after the old one had been destroyed, there is no record of the second temple ever being filled with the presence of God the way the first one had. And so this, the, the, the cry of their hearts for the presence of God and the blessing of God, they never really got it. Throughout the whole story of the Old Testament, even though God brings them back from exile, and it, and it, it seems as though the period of, of punishment is over, it's never really restored. So that cry, restore us, O God, goes unfulfilled. Until. Until Jesus. And it's interesting, we see verses 17 and 18 of the psalm indicate that, that the psalmist knew that it was going to take something special for the restoration to actually happen. If you look at verse 17 and 18, it says, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon you. The hope of Israel was placed on the man of God's right hand, this son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. God had promised earlier that that a righteous king, a son of David, would always rule over Israel. So in the time of despair, Israel cries out to God to raise up that king that he had promised. David, of course, was a great warrior. David was the the king that that fulfilled the the nation, taking over and filling the promised land. Uh, David was a a mighty um, general, a powerful warrior. So when Jesus came into the world, he was the savior that no one expected because they were expecting the son of David to come with military might, right? Israel at the time of Jesus was under political and military uh, oppression from Rome. And the people were longing, just like they were in Psalm 8, they were longing for restoration. They were longing to, to go back to the time of, of being powerful and having their own king. And not being under the thumb of this foreign power. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And he's not a mighty general, he doesn't lead an army of of soldiers. To fight the battle that Jesus fought, he had to come in weakness. Instead of crushing the enemy, Jesus came to be crushed by the enemy. And by suffering death, Jesus took upon Himself the sin of the world. Jesus came to create a new people of God, not to to elevate the people of God to a a position of political and military might. But Jesus came actually to create a whole new people of God. Jesus came to fix what had been broken in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to restore that broken relationship with God that happened in the Garden of Eden and the broken relationship with humanity between ourselves that began in the Garden of Eden. When Jesus came, his message was, the kingdom of God is here. He could have said, we're on our way back to Eden. We're on our way back because the king has come. What is, what is the kingdom of God? It is, it's the world that all of our hearts long for. It's the, it's the world as we know it made right. All the wrongs of this world made undone. It's a world without senseless killing, a world without war, without disease, without suffering, without pain. A world where people treat each other with grace and kindness and humility. A world where we are with God, and He is with us. That's what Jesus came to bring. Not military victory over Rome, not to make Israel a great nation, but to establish the kingdom of God. And that new world has begun. That new world has begun. And we are in it. We are partaking of that world. It has not yet come in its fullness, right? We're still waiting. We're still looking forward to the consummation of the ages where all evil will be be destroyed and removed and every tear will be wiped away. We're waiting, we're longing for it, but it's coming, and it's begun. We've we've been given a taste of it, even here, even right now. We have been made citizens of a different world than the world we see around us. Um, Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven. We may be citizens of the United States of America or whatever country we are, but we're also citizens of heaven. And that's our primary citizenship. That's our primary identity. That's who we are. That's who we've been made to be. In verse 18, um, the psalmist makes this declaration when this, um, this son of man comes and says, then we will not turn back from you. Then we will not turn back from you. This recognition that they're in the bad, the sad state they're in because of their own sin, but also this recognition that there is coming a day of of spiritual transformation where dead hearts are going to be made alive and where, where hearts of stone are going to be made into hearts of flesh. Hearts that rebel against God are going to be made into hearts that love God and His ways. And that's what Jesus came to do. I wasn't aware that today was Pentecost Sunday until I got here this morning, but that's what we celebrate with the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday and every day, is that because of what Jesus did for us, the Holy Spirit now comes to dwell in us, to transform our hearts from the inside out, to make us into those citizens of the new kingdom. So, just to wrap things up here. Psalm 80 is a communal lament, but it's also a a psalm of hope. It's it's lamenting the the sad condition of the nation. But it's a declaration of hope because the, the psalmist is crying out to the God who hears. And the God who has made promises to do amazing things for his people. Bigger and more beautiful and greater than we could ever imagine. And while while the people of God grieve over our own sin and over the brokenness of the world around us, we also we also rejoice and we take great courage in the hope that God has given us. I I titled this sermon "Tearful Hope." acknowledging that we live in a world full of tears, and yet we are a hopeful people. We are a hopeful people because God is good, and God is gracious, and God is powerful, and God is doing things now in our own lives and in the world that is leading us back to the garden, back to a world where we will live in intimacy with him and in communion with one another. And time's running up. I, I want to make one comment, I, and I almost hesitate to make it, but I want to talk for just a second about politics. Because we're, we're in a world where politics has become kind of all over the place. You can't read the news anymore without reading about the conflict and the tensions in our country over political differences. Yeah, I just want to say, as people of God, we need to be careful about misplaced hope. We need to be careful about misplaced hope. Because the world that we live in likes to act as if we just get the right government in place, then all of our problems will go away. It's almost funny watching the, you know, the. Uh, Elections and the the commercials and the things people say during the um, election cycles, it's truly messianic, the promises that they make. You know, elect me and basically I'm going to make all the problems go away. You know, elect me and we'll have a more peaceful world, we'll have a more equitable world, Um, poverty will go away. All these promises, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just amazing. And I don't. I'm not picking on one party or the other, it's just, it's just the nature of politics. And I guess I just want to say, as the people of God, um, I don't, I, I'm not at all advocating that we're not involved politically, I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I think being involved in our society, in our government, through, through politics, is a way to love our neighbor, you know, we should all be striving to have a more fair and good system that treats people well and and that does things like elevates people out of poverty and addresses the needs of our society. My caution is be careful of where you place your hope. Be careful of your expectations. I think it's because we we sometimes, we put so much hope in a particular party Particular candidate that—that that is what stirs up all the, the division that we are seeing around us. As we—we put so much hope in one side and demonize the other, that we, we can't even begin to work together to actually create some kind of common good. So. I don't know if I should have even said that. (laughs) I'm not sure you're supposed to talk about politics from the pulpit. But my point is, we have hope in someone who does not break his promises. We have hope in a God who is there, who is real, who is good, and who is powerful to do all that he has said he will do. And he has promised to bring us into his presence and to make right all the wrongs of this world. And so we say with the psalmist, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Amen. Amen.